<clears throat> All right. So this morning we are concluding our study on understanding the heart. Um, in his book, uh, With All Your Heart, Craig Troxell identifies three aspects of our inner life that the Bible uses the word heart for. The mind, the desires, and the will. And we've examined all three of these in light of scripture, uh, how they are affected by sin, and how Christ's offices of prophet, priest, and king address each of these. Uh, and we've spent the last two weeks uh, talking about keeping the heart. Um, and this week we're going we're gonna to talk about the mouth uh, as the ambassador of our hearts, um, communicating what is truly there, the, the, the idea that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And finally, we will consider our dependence on Christ uh, as the keeper of our hearts. And Jesus made it clear uh, that there's an intimate connection between what is in our hearts and the words that we speak. Um, I just quoted this uh, briefly, but in more in full, Luke chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 43. Uh, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Uh, for each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a, a bramble bush. Uh, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil uh, out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And so you can see it's it's very much of like what's in your heart is going to come out in the things that you do and the things that you say. Uh, we know that people, uh, that whatever people dwell on in their hearts, it comes out in their speech. Um, if you're excited about something that has uh, recently happened uh, or that you anticipate happening soon, don't you feel a strong desire uh, to talk about it uh, with other people? Uh, I mean, I, I imagine, you know, Christmas time, you know, very frequently, children are very excited about uh, about gifts that they're going to be uh, receiving, or perhaps gifts that they're going to be giving their siblings, or various things like that. And they, they want to talk about it, and um, they're like, "Oh, I, I can't wait to see what I got," and "Oh, I, I can't wait until you know my sister sees what I got for her," and things like that. And they just want to talk about that because that's what's in their heart. That's what that's what they're dwelling on. And so, um, very much, our mouth is going to be uh, proclaiming what's in our mind, what's in our heart. Uh, it's, it's, uh, the mouth will proclaim what the mind of your heart is thinking about, what the desires of your heart are fixed on, and what the will of your heart chooses. Those things are they're going to come out in your speech. And these things, they can be good or evil, right? Um, and they can have profound consequences. Uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says, uh, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And so when you consider if, uh, if you have somebody who, whose heart is full of bitterness and anger, uh, as they interact with people, uh, they're, they're going to harm people with their words. It's, it's very much like they, you know, they're stabbing them with swords. Uh, but on the other hand, if a, if a person's heart is full of goodness, full of love, full of compassion for people, that's going to come out in ways that are very encouraging to people, that are going to do good for people. Um, and so, that, I mean, that's that's the way that that works, where uh, what's in our heart is going to come out in our speech. 
James tells us in uh, James chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, he says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Uh, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Uh, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Um, and so there, obviously, James is, is providing us with a very negative picture there of, of uh, the damage that the tongue can do. Now, these are things that we know. These are things that we experience. Um, but how do we, how do we make use of that? Um, well, as words make appearances in our conversations, we ought to take stock of them. We ought to think about, like, what did I just say? You know, after after the fact, you have a conversation, and I hopefully hopefully you all do this. I know I do this. You know, there's things I say, and I think about this. You know, after my Sunday school lessons, I was like, man, that was that was probably not the best you know way to say that. Or I'm yeah, I'm really glad that it was like it, that came across really well. So you know, sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's negative. But uh, but we should take stock of those things. Um, our our speech provides a gauge, an index about the spiritual condition of our heart. Uh, and we need to reflect on our words and ask ourselves if our words are consistent with our claim to follow Christ. Um, and I mean, oftentimes we're going to find you know things on both sides of the spectrum there. Um, but we ought to consider: it's like, what is it? What are the things that I'm talking about? What are the words coming out of my mouth? Do they uh, do they indicate a heart that is following Christ, or do they indicate a heart that is? following the things of the world. Uh, James, again, uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 8 through 12, uh, he says, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Uh, and there, you know, at the end, it very much sounds like the things that Jesus said there. Um, but as we consider the the what what James sets up here, um, if we if we bless God. From the heart, um, what will we say about our fellow man? What's what's going to be the effect of that? Doesn't James James indicate that if we are blessing God from our heart, that we're also going to bless our fellow man who is made in the image of God? That's the natural consequence. If we're blessing him from our heart. Not just saying it outwardly, uh, but if we bless him from our heart, then we will we will be uh, blessing our fellow man. If our speech is made up of cursing our fellow man, what does that say about our blessing uh, with our tongue? What is it? What is it? What is our blessing God with our tongue if we're cursing our fellow man? There's a word for that. It's a famous word. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. That's exactly right. It's hypocrisy. It's 
putting on that show of being a righteous person. It's like, oh, I bless God. God's so wonderful. And then you go out and you, everything you say is just tearing people down. That's an indication that what's in your heart is not accurately rep, uh, reflected by when you bless God. Um, so we see that even though what the tongue says does show us what's in the heart, there are times that the tongue indicates things that aren't actually true of our heart, right? And so that's hypocrisy. And Jesus had uh, a lot to say about hypocrisy. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, uh, verses 10 and 11, uh, he says, uh, it says, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And then the disciples in the following verses then ask him what he means by that. Can he, can he explain what he's saying? And so then beginning in verse 17, he says, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So Jesus, again, is expressing this idea that, um, that what's in your heart is going to come out in your mouth. Um, that's, it's, going to, it's going to appear to people uh, by the things that you say. Um, the Pharisees were very concerned with external appearances. Uh, they, you know, that was just like just a huge thing that he wasn't washing his hands. Uh, I was like, whoa, he's he's defiled because of that. Uh, but um, you know, Jesus uh, just makes it very clear that like what's actually uh, defiling is is the things that you're saying. It's the I mean, they they had a sense were being very critical of Jesus for something that you know really had no value. Um, and as you you know as you look through the New Testament, you see that the Pharisees and others that opposed Jesus uh, they were just full of of statements that were just blasphemous against uh, God incarnate, um, and their their tongues, their mouths were displaying what was in their heart. Um, it's an external, artificial, and hypocritical religion that bypasses the center of religion, which is the heart. Um, I mean, we see that in our own day. Um, there are uh, just. Uh, many religions that are just about external appearances and even within uh, true religion, true Christianity, uh, there are many people that walk in that um, in a way where what they're concerned about is the external appearances. They're concerned about uh, what do people see and they completely bypass what's going on in the heart. Uh, words are an accurate measure of where a person is. Uh, things that truly defile a person are the evil thoughts, hatred, immorality, and falsehood that flow from the heart and proceed out of one's mouth. But there's a problem with identifying hypocr hypocrisy. Why is it why is it so hard to spot hypocrisy? Yeah. Part of it is we're all hypocrites. Yeah, part of it is we are all hypocrites. I mean, you know, there's that famous thing. It's like, 
you know, <clears throat> I, you know, I don't want to join the church because you know there's you know because it's full of hypocrites and it's like well if you find one that you know isn't there don't join it because then you'll you know you'll then they'll have a hypocrite. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean in a sense we are all hypocrites, right? Um, I, I mean there's just there's just always that that tendency to want to appear righteous to other people and. Um, oftentimes we put on that show, even though, you know, like we don't really want to, we realize that that's not the attitude we should have. It's just so easy to do that. Well, the, also the, the basis of hypocrisy is deception. Mm -hmm. And, exactly. and uh, not, not only that, but it, it actually can be so severe that even we're deceived, <clears throat> you know, we don't even see our own hypocrisy. Yeah. So. Yeah. That, that's the, that's the real danger. But, but yeah, I mean, it is in its nature. It's deception. It it wants to hide itself. It's 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 got a built-in mask, as it were, uh, to to make it look like it's the genuine thing. Um, and yeah, and we can even fool ourselves. Um, uh, the yeah the hypocrisy. It's the the goal of it. Uh, is to is to make you think that the mask it wears is the real thing, and so the hypocrite's religion is uh, it's it's like a veneer that covers uh, cheap inferior uh, material below. You know where you have you know you make something out of cheap material just because it's cheaper, but then you put nice looking material on the outside just to make it look like it's something really nice. Um, uh, in its pretense, the standard of hypocrisy uh, becomes the optics. Practicing righteousness to be seen, uh, giving to the needy to be praised, praying publicly to be noticed, uh, praying at length to be heard, uh, and fasting to be observed. Um, I mean, you, you think of like Jesus's words with respect to uh, to fasting, where he would see people who would just when they would fast, they would just go, you know, they would go around, you know, with unwashed faces and just act like they were just so miserable so that everybody would see, oh, wow, that guy's fasting. He's so holy. Um, and, you know, and, you know, it's like, well, that's why they're doing it, you know. And so he was saying, you know, it's like, don't worry about people seeing you fasting. Just act normal um, and uh, and realize that it's, it's, you know, it's God that matters, uh, not not whether you're putting on an external appearance. Um, and Jesus uh, quoted Isaiah's words when he spoke about all of this hypocrisy he saw around him. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 7. He says, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you uh, when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so... With their lips, they were close to him. They were they were saying things that made them sound holy, but their hearts weren't there. Um, and you know, at times, what their mouths would say would reflect what was truly in their heart. Uh, but clearly, their heart was not in it. It was all just a show. <clears throat> now, if our words measure the heart's true condition, then empty words expose the heart's hypocritical state. Uh, someone can talk the talk and give the appearance of intimate fellowship with God, and yet that person's religion is a lie. Uh, the worst thing that could be true of us is that outwardly uh, we appear righteous uh, to others like whitewashed tombs, all 
painted up looking nice, but inwardly were full of uncleanness, deadness, and lawlessness. And we should carefully examine ourselves to see if our speech truly represents our heart or if they are mere hypocrisy. And that's a way that we can examine ourselves and we say, as we look at the things that we say, even when we say the right things, what's our motivation? Why are we saying that? Uh, because as Pastor Rick pointed out, it's like we can deceive ourselves. We can just so get into the, I know how to say the right things, I know how to, to put on the show, I can come to church every Sunday and I can make it look like I'm a holy person. Um, in the end, that's not going to matter. Um, when, when you die, when you stand before God, you're not going to be able to say, well, look, I persuaded everybody that I was this holy Christian. Um, that's not going to work. Um, and again, the, the biggest danger is that you persuade yourself. You persuade yourself that you're this holy Christian. Um, so we need to be examining ourselves because um, it's, it's serious. Um, are we just hypocrites? Or is the, the speech that we pour forth that sounds so holy, is it, is it there because our hearts are focused on God? And we need to pray that that would be the case. So the, uh, the ideal um, for the redeemed heart is that if our hearts have been changed, our speech will reflect that reality. Uh, we will confess Jesus is Lord. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so if we're if we're people whose hearts are changed, we're gonna be we're gonna be pointing to Jesus. We're gonna be saying, That's who saved me. We're gonna be saying, Jesus is Lord. He is my Lord. That's gonna come out in the things that we say. And uh, we will speak of God's word. Uh, Joshua chapter one, verse eight. Uh, it says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So many wonderful things in this. Um, you know, the, the meditating on the word of God, the obeying the word of God. Uh, but the thing to, to focus for our purposes here is that uh, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Uh, not just that it, you know, it shouldn't, depart from your, you know, your nightstand or whatever, you know, that you should be reading it, but also that you're going to be speaking about the Word of God. You're going to be talking about the Word of God because it's in your heart. You're meditating on it. It, it, um, it, it just truly impacts uh, the way you think. Uh, it impacts the things that you desire. It impacts uh, the choices you make. Um, and so it's going to come out in your speech. Uh, the things uh, will be uh, these things will be a sincere reflection of the meditation of our hearts and not a mere display to uh, to convince others that we are holy. So we must examine ourselves. Uh, do our words reflect that our hearts belong to Christ and are being changed by Him? Do they reflect a heart whose treasure is in, uh, or, or do they reflect a, a heart whose treasure is in this life? Uh, do they reflect a pretense uh, of holiness designed to hide the corruption uh, that remains? Um, and for Christians, it's probably going to be a mixture 
of all of these things. Uh, some level of, of seeking the things of the world, some measure of seeking after Christ, some measure of hypocrisy, uh, where we say things that, that are just designed to, um, to make people think that we're holy. There's, there's going to be some mixture of that in all of us because we're not fully sanctified. Um, but as, the, the, as, our, as our hearts continue the process of sanctification, these things should change. And we should seek to make full use of what our words tell us about our hearts as we seek to mortify our sinful desires and live in holiness. So we have that, 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 you know, that gauge, as it were. We have a, you know, it's like, it's like a little dial gauge. It's like, how's your heart doing? It's like, well, look at your words. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to give you some kind of indication of what's going on because the, 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 the mouth is, in a sense, the ambassador of the heart. It's, it's how we interact with it and see what's going on in our heart is by what we say. Any thoughts or questions about uh, that particular topic? I'll just oh, Ben. I might have missed this, but Deuteronomy six. I don't know if you talked about it at all. But the hero of Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Mm-hmm. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. But going on from there, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them. Mm-hmm. So it's then affecting your seed. Uh, diligently to your children shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down right and rise. And it goes on from there and actually talks about the gateways too, the eyes mm-hmm. that yeah. we were talking about before. But, but yeah, it's it's yeah. from when you lie down to when you rise it's the whole day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean that's another another passage that's just very clear that that's that's the way that uh, God's work in our heart should be flowing out. In the things that we say, and I, I don't know to put those pieces together. That it's like it's moving from the heart. It directly mentions the heart right there, mm-hmm. and then goes right to the words from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a great a great passage there. I probably should have included that in my notes. But that's why we have uh, why we have students here that that jump in and add other things. So, um, so just a very important thing. Um, and when we uh, when we consider uh, the deceitfulness of our hearts, uh, their proneness to sin and rebellion, uh, we should reminded we should be reminded of the fact that we do not have the power to keep our hearts. Um, that's kind of the section we've been talking about here is keeping our hearts, you know, and the, the you know the the eyes and the ears as the as the gateway of our hearts, and then the mouth as the ambassador of our heart. Um, but uh, keeping the heart is something that we don't have the power to do in ourselves. Um, Jesus was very clear in John chapter 15, verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, apart from Christ, we simply do not have the power uh, to, to do the things that are pleasing to God. On our own, our hearts will stray from God. Uh, our minds will be darkened, and the truth will elude us. Uh, our desires will turn from what alone can satisfy, and they will seek for <clears throat> broken cisterns of lust. Um, our wills will choose rebellion rather than submission to God's law. That's what we're going to do if we're just left to ourselves. 
So we must look to the Lord to keep us. He is the one who must keep our hearts. Psalm 127, uh, verse 1, says, Unless the Lord builds the house, uh, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Um, when you consider those things, it's like, I, you know, it's very natural for us to just look at the things that we do in our lives and say, okay, well, I, I, need, to, I need to build a house, so I need to labor. I need to, I need to you know, get up and, and do these things, put the effort in. Um, but if God's not there um, enabling and assisting us, we're not going to do it. Um, we don't necessarily see that when we just look at the things in our lives. Um, you think of the, the watchman who's watching over the city, and he's like, well, I just, I just have to stay awake. I, that's, that's really all it takes. I just stay awake, and I uh, you know, keep an eye out for enemies and sound the alarm if there's an enemy. But um, if God decides that a, a city is going to fall, um, then it just doesn't matter. There's, there's no watchman that can, uh, that can prevent that from happening. And if God decides to protect the city, um, then uh, you know it's He's going to make it happen. Um, now, there's always the flip side of this. You know, when we consider that, does that mean that we should not labor on the house or we should not watch over the city because God's the one who's making it happen? I see Ben shaking his head. He, he ordains the means, not just the ends. Yeah, exactly. He ordains the means, not just the ends. So um, the the fact is, is that. God's going to protect the city uh, through the watchman who stays up. Uh, but it's, you know, it's not just the watchman staying up. It's God working through that. Um, God is going to build the house through the laborers who will build the house. Not just, you know, they all, you know, take it easy and, uh, you know, sit in the shade while the house just goes up. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. There's, there's both sides there. Um, so our own efforts are vain apart from the Lord. But our own efforts are uh, an important aspect of what's going on. Um, Psalm 121 uh, really uh, brings in the idea that, that the Lord is our keeper. He is the one who, who helps us, who protects us, um, and really no one else. I'm just beginning at the beginning, and I'm just going to read through the whole thing. It's not a very long psalm. Psalm 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Uh, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So just very relevant to this, of of the psalmist realizing that that's where his help comes from, is from the Lord. Um, That's the source of his help. Um, What do we see in this psalm? that encourages and encourages us in this respect. It, it very clearly points to um, 
to the source of our help as the Lord. But it doesn't just say that the Lord is our helper. Uh, what else do we see in this psalm? Uh, that that's. I, I, I don't want to leave it too open-ended, but I'm not sure how to, without just giving you the, the answer I want, ask the question. Um, what, what do we see about God in this psalm that, uh, that encourages us about him keeping us? Well, he, he talks about how the Lord made heaven and earth, so he has ability mm-hmm. and he has power. Yes. Um, but not only that, um, he also has a watchful eye. He doesn't slumber or sleep. He's, mm-hmm. he's constantly aware of, of what is going on in our lives. So uh, that's what sort of stands out to me just at first yeah. reading. Yeah, so we, so we have the ability of God is presented there. Um, just he's, he's, he's not... You know, he's not unable to do this. He's not falling asleep. He's very watchful. He's aware. He's paying attention to what's going on. Well, I was just thinking that parallels basically what we were talking about in Psalm 127. He has the ability to build whatever, mm-hmm. like he made heaven and earth. And also, he's not slumbering or sleeping. He is the watchman who watches over everything. Yeah. That, that is interesting. I hadn't even thought of that. It's like that really brings it up uh, that, that he's the maker of heaven and earth. And we were talking about building a house. And that he's not sleeping or slumbering. He's he's the watchman who's always there that's aware. So, thank you for for bringing that up. That's a that's a great parallel. Um, anything else in this in this uh, psalm that uh, reflects on who God is and how He is able to keep us? I think at the end when He talks about how the Lord will keep us as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's um, you know even from from evil that seeks to destroy us and, and mm-hmm. things like that, and so he's with us even with our goings in, our goings out, and you know, all that stuff. He's he's constantly with us. Yeah, yeah. I, so you definitely have the idea of faithless in here. Um, that you know that it's it's our going in, our coming out. Um, the Lord uh, will keep us from this time forth. And forevermore, it's not a yeah. He's he's keeping you right now, um, but you know next week, you know you might flip up and he's not going to keep you anymore after that. It's it's a promise of absolute faithfulness. Um, God is going to keep you from this time forth and forevermore. Yeah, he didn't just see your problems; he's actually there with you. Yeah, too, as you yeah. go through this. Yeah, yeah, his presence there with you. Um, and this is not something that is. Um, even just through this life, but up to the time of your death and even even through your death. God is with you. God is faithful. He is keeping you. He's able. He's, uh, he's, he's aware. He's paying attention. Um, he is faithful. Um, and so God is, is, uh, is the keeper of our hearts in a way that uh, we can never accomplish. Uh, consider the uh, the, uh, the benediction in number six. I mean, we often hear that uh, at the end of the of the worship service. Uh, Numbers chapter six, uh, verses twenty-four through twenty-six says, "The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace." So there, um, it's a it's a prayer slash promise of of the Lord keeping us 
of the Lord guarding over us, the Lord uh, having his good favor shining on us. Um, so God promises to keep us. Um, he will be with us, he will be gracious to us, and he will keep us. And God is faithful to his promises. Um, an example of uh, when God was speaking to Jacob, uh, 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 God said to him uh, in uh, Genesis chapter uh, 28, verse 15, he says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And so God has made a promise to Jacob. He's going to do these things in the life of Jacob. And he's like, I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to be with you, and I'm never going to uh, forsake you. I'm going to keep you, and I'm going to accomplish what I have promised. And so we can trust that God is going to be faithful um, in our lives uh, to be with us and to keep us. We're not dependent um, on our on our own strength. Um, and again, um, the idea that uh, that we're not completely passive in this, that we are actually active um, in keeping ourselves. Um, uh, again, we don't we don't want to just you know I guess the you know the, the the phrase you always hear is let go and let God. You know that's not really the biblical approach. Uh, we need to be very active um, in our keeping of our own hearts uh, while trusting in God to keep our hearts. Uh, but it's interesting you look at, uh, at Jude's letter, um, you, you see both sides pop up there. Uh, in Jude verse 3, uh, he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write, to write appealing you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so Jude there is is telling the people it's like you need to be fighting for the faith you need to you need to keep the faith you need to to fight for what is true but if you just look back up at verse one he he uh, addresses it to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ or possibly kept by Jesus Christ um, I mean both are true we are kept by and for Jesus Christ um, and so. While Jude is telling these people that they should uh, they should contend for the faith, they should they should be sure to keep the faith. He's also saying that we're that we're kept by Christ and we're kept for Christ. Um, God is keeping us. He is guarding us. And then he closes uh, down in verse 24. He says, "Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy." So there he points to uh, God's ability, uh, God's uh, um, being able to keep us. Um, and so we need not fear. Uh, but of course, again, does not absolve us of the necessity to, uh, to actually uh, do, our, uh, do, do the, the part that God has ordained for us to do. As, as uh, Ben mentioned, uh, you know, God ordains the, 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 the means as well. Uh, John chapter uh, 17, uh, we see something similar here where Jesus commends his disciples as those who have kept the word of God. Uh, verse 6, it says, I have manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. 
uh, yours they were and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. And so there we see that the, the disciples are keeping the word of God. They're, um, they're being active in their obedience to God. Um, and he prays, and Jesus then prays that the Father would keep them in verses uh, 11 and verse 15. Uh, he says, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, uh, that they may be one even as we are one. And then verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you, but that you keep them from the evil one. So again, we are pointed uh, to God as the one who keeps us, uh, even though we are um, actively uh, working in, the, in keeping the faith ourselves. Uh, similarly, um, Hebrews uh, chapter 13, verse 5. Um, we are told, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Um, and so, again, we are given that command uh, to keep ourselves free from the love of money. What's it based on? It's based on the faithfulness of God, right? It's God is going to keep us. He's going to take care of us. How do we how do we apply that to our lives? How do we how do we how does this impact the way that we do things? Well, I mean, you're talking about Hebrews thirteen five, right? Um, Hebrews thirteen five, or just big picture? Yeah, I mean, as as far as Hebrews thirteen five, I mean, just everything in our culture is telling us you got to sort of you know provide for yourself and mm -hmm. and you got to be you know you got to be responsible mm -hmm. for your retirement for your kids going to college and all that kind of stuff and, and there's times when you just don't have that means and that ability right. and you know there can be a sense of feeling like a failure or I got to do more or what can I do and which robs us of that sense of contentment mm -hmm. and, and things rather than understanding that the Lord puts us in different places yeah. and we can look to Him and depend upon Him. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, what, what, are the, what are the extremes, I guess? I mean, you can be in that situation where it's like you're looking at it and you're like, I'm, I'm just anxious. I, I, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to provide. Um, you could also be on the other side where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm doing really well. My my bank account is really full. I could I could weather just about any storm at this point. And um, that's also going to have, you know, you're not your attitude is not going to be correct. Ben? I think in a lot of ways, this goes back to the purpose of wealth mm -hmm. for us. And that is, it's a gift from God. Mm -hmm. It's not our own. We're just stewards. Um, and it's something that God has given us to bless others. It's also to provide for ourselves, though. Um, but I mean, there is a sense where we need to just, we have to trust in Him to provide for us. Mm -hmm. But there's also a sense where um, we have to, we are called to work and to, and to work hard to provide for ourselves. We're not burdened to others. Right. But that's not the ultimate goal. It's not to be a burden to others because some, sometimes God uses others 
wealth to bless us. Right. That's the way it goes. Uh -huh. um, it's really all about blessing others um, right. as God has blessed us with the wealth that he's given us. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Uh, the, I mean, obviously, the, the wrong attitude is to focus on the wealth as if that's the important thing, uh, because you know, as you say, we, we might be we might be the one who has the wealth and is able to bless others, or we might be uh, the one who doesn't and is is being blessed by others. Um, and so, I mean, ultimately, it is it's a it's a it's about um, our love for each other and our love for God and trusting God uh, that He is going to provide. Um, just thinking about it more big picture, um, how how do we how do we deal with this? Um, I mean, again, it's like I guess in a sense, like what are the, what are the extremes um, that we want to avoid? That's sometimes the clearest thing we can look at when it comes to um, just obeying God in all sorts of ways. Um, what are the extremes that we might be tempted to fall into, and what what does the things that we've been talking about here? Point us to as a as a solution for that. Any thoughts? Might it might still be too vague. I, I can take a stab at it. Sure. Um, in the context of wealth, this might apply to others. Um, there's the sense that you can try to give away too much of it mm -hmm. uh, to the point where you can't take care of yourself, and you are being a burden because of your own foolish actions. Right. Yeah. And so we can neglect some duties because we're pursuing a holiness mm -hmm. that is um, more than what God actually right. calls of us. Yeah. Uh, but in the other sense, we can um, we can try and accumulate, accumulate, accumulate mm -hmm. for ourselves or whatever. And, and with both of those, the focus is really on what we can do with the money. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's really on wealth and right. not on God, not on outside of ourselves. Right. Yeah. And that can probably apply to a bunch of different areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I know um, just like one thing that I see on occasion is some people who, um, you know, say, "Oh, it's like I have great faith, and it's like I'm going to do this," um, that like there's really no financial support for it. And it's just like, I'm just going to trust God is going to, like, after the fact, come up with the money for this. Um, yeah, I mean, there could be times when that would be an acceptable thing to do. Um, but frequently, I mean, that's that, that might just be being unwise. You know, it's, you know, God hasn't promised to, you know, give you money for everything you might dream of, you know. Um, and so, uh, you, you, you do need to take it seriously that, like, um, you know, finding a way to make money to do the things that God has called you to do um, is is something that you have to take seriously. It's not simply, well, I'm just going to rely that God is going to, you know. Um, it's, I mean, I, I, you know, I ran into somebody one time that like they uh, took a road trip that you know wasn't even like a like an important road trip, but they you know they didn't have money for gas and they just like were then begging for gas because they said they were just trusting that God was going to provide gas for them, you know, and again, it wasn't like it was like, this is a road trip they have to make, uh, or, you know, some big spiritual thing. It was just like, oh, they just have great faith. They're just going to trust that God's going to fill their gas tank somehow. 
Um, that's probably not the approach you should have. Um, but you also don't want to be on the opposite side where you're um, where you're just relying on your own uh, strength to do things. Um, I had another example. I think it escaped from me. So, but uh, but there's I mean there's all sorts of areas in our life where um, there there can be either a temptation to simply rely on our own strength to just say okay this is this is what I'm gonna do this is what I'm capable of um, I'm gonna I'm just gonna keep doing this this way because this is what I think I can do and not really you know rely on the strength that God provides and the resources that God provides and then there can also be a tendency to say oh well I I don't really have to make any effort you know God is uh, he's he's in control he's sanctifying me he's he's doing all these things I'm just gonna just go with the flow do whatever I want and trust that God's gonna take care of whatever sanctification he has sovereignly ordained is going to happen in my life. Um, you know, neither one of those is the proper approach. Uh, we should uh, like be actively focused on uh, examining our hearts and seeking to have hearts that follow after God. Uh, we need to put all the effort we can into it, um, in a sense, as if it was all up to us. But our attitude needs to be. Uh, you know, an attitude that is not anxious, that is not uh, uh, legalistic, that is not worried, uh, because we can trust that God is working there. He's going to accomplish sanctification in our life that we couldn't even dream. As we consider the the sins we struggle with, and you're like, I don't feel like I'm ever going to get victory against that. But we can trust in God that He's able to overcome those things, and so we can. Just put forth all the effort that, that we have, knowing that it's God that is giving us that strength to put forth that effort. Um, so and so it's a it's a balancing act, a balancing act of of really striving to keep our hearts, to 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 guard our hearts, to to do everything that we can to you know work our hearts into a state of holiness. Um, but never doing it in our own strength, always relying on God's work in us and saying, okay, that's that's really where my strength comes from, is from God. And that can be a hard balance to keep, um, but I think that's the, that's the proper approach when we look at biblically how we should approach our sanctification and approach uh, the, the keeping of our heart. So our responsibility and the, the faithfulness of God go hand in hand. Uh, you seek to love Christ faithfully with all your hearts knowing, desiring, and choosing. Uh, but your deeper confidence is in Christ's love for you and his keeping, preserving, and protecting you. Uh, he will keep you uh, from falling and keep you from evil. Um, and, sorry, and keep you from the evil one because he who... Uh, he who is the maker of the heavens and earth is your help. Uh, he will keep you when you come in and go out by day and night because your helper is the God who does not slumber or sleep. Uh, he will keep you from this time forth and forevermore because your Savior is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before him 
in his glorious presence. Um, these are these are things that we can we can we can work towards and we can rely on God for. So as pilgrims, we lift up our eyes in faith to the Father, Son, and Spirit, who have granted us an inheritance that cannot perish, spoil, or fade, which is kept in heaven for us. Uh, God comforts us uh, with the knowledge uh, that we are precious to him and that we are shielded by faith and guarded by God's power for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Christ is able to keep us to the end. He will keep our hearts. He will keep us. And we belong to him who alone is the Lord of our heart. And so that is the the end of our study. And hopefully, um, I mean, I would recommend uh, that if you have time and you want to study further, read this. We didn't talk about everything that Troxel said. I mean, obviously I threw some of my own stuff in. Uh, but it's, it's just... Um, a vital part of the Christian life to be uh, examining our hearts and to be uh, really considering like what can we do um, to better understand the way that sin affects our hearts, to better understand the way that Christ in his work uh, redeems our hearts, and to, uh, to work at keeping our hearts in the power that God provides. Is there any final thoughts or questions about anything we've talked about for the whole semester? I, I think just I, I think one of the another reason we wanted to go through this series too is just to help sort of change our paradigm because our culture has defined the heart so much around af, uh, affections and feelings and yeah. things like that. Uh, when we read the scriptures and see that word heart. Uh, mm-hmm. To understand it's the whole inner person inner part of the person you know yeah and so to, to just keep that in mind and resist that cultural definition of what the heart is and see because yeah. I mean it just helps us to realize that Christ's work is so much more thorough yes. than and than what we might first think yeah you know, if we don't understand yeah. the definition of the heart yeah I guess I mean I know like especially in the in the first section where we talked about the mind of the heart yeah. Um, you know, that was one of the things that Troxel brought up, you know, frequently was just this this idea that's in our society where you have the, the mind versus the heart. And it's just not a biblical view of what the heart is, at least in the way that the Bible uses the word heart. I mean, it's a it's legitimate to talk about that distinction, you know, within us. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is, is that the, the word of God addresses when it addresses our heart, it is addressing um, not just our feelings, it's addressing our mind, our our desires, and our will. So yeah, it's it's definitely really good that we were able to like look at that and, and as you said, reorient ourselves uh, to what's the proper way to view those things. So yeah, that's a good, good reminder. Anything else? All right. Well, thank you all for your patience. Let's uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we thank you that you are the keeper of our hearts, that you are the Lord of our hearts. And uh, God, I just pray that uh, that we would um, not just file this away as another study that we've done, but that, Lord, we would continue to dwell on these things. Um, and, Lord, that you would use them to impact our lives, that um, our hearts would be changed, that we would uh, love you more, that we would love ourselves and love sin 
far less. Um, but Lord, we would be devoted to you and we would love the brothers uh, that, that you uh, would work in us, that we would be people who walk um, after the pattern of, of Jesus Christ. And we know that you will be faithful to do that. We pray in Christ's name.